Well, we're going to take a little break from our study of Joshua today. Um, it's a long passage that we're going to be looking at and complicated, and I'm just not ready for that. And, and it, we, it, we knew we wouldn't have time today with baptism. So we're going to dip into Romans today, Romans chapter 4, 9 through 12, and really take this opportunity, as I said before, to improve our baptism and to think specifically about faith, faith. That's the most important thing as we contemplate sacraments such as the, the, the Lord's Supper and, and baptism. Well, let's stand together, if you're able, uh, for the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Romans 4, 9 through 12. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Please be seated. I once read a remark by a person who hates Christianity, and the remark was this, think more, believe less. Think more, believe less. And in parentheses it said, believe has the word lie in it. Well, if you really thought about that statement, it is ridiculous because faith is built on facts. And to think more and believe less is uh, kind of an oxymoron, maybe. Uh, you should think more and believe more, especially about the truth. Well, I pointed out uh, in this, to this comment that every human being has faith. The only difference is the object of the faith. Every human being believes things. Everyone makes faith commitments, right? You think about the very, our very existence. You know, we as Christians believe that God created all things out of nothing. There was nothing and then there was something. Only thing that existed was God in eternity. If you do not believe that God created everything from nothing, then you have to believe that something has always existed because you can't get something from nothing. They believe, people who believe in evolution, Big Bang, whatever, they believe that some form of matter has existed for eternity and science cannot prove that. There's no way you can prove that. You can't go back into eternity and, and know that. That has to be taken on faith. Just as if you believe, if you were like us, we believe that God created everything. It's a faith commitment. So everybody has faith in something. It's part of the human condition. And everyone believes something that cannot be proven by science. Now, faith is what Paul's talking about in Romans, and particularly how it relates to our standing before God. 
And we're jumping into the middle of an argument here, so I'm going to kind of give you a little context. In chapter 4, we're hearing an example Paul is using to prove his case that the only way humans can be justified before God is through faith alone in the redemption that Christ has provided in his death, life, death, and resurrection. The idea that the person who places his or her faith in Christ is justified or declared righteous by God is not a new idea that Paul's coming up with. He's pointing us back to the example of Abraham because he says, even Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Genesis 15, 6. Abraham was not justified and accepted by God because of his own morality and goodness. No, he, he was a sinner just like the rest of us. He trusted God, and God credited righteousness to him. This righteousness was a gift. It was not an obligation. No one is so righteous that God is obligated to save them. It's impossible. Sinful humans cannot earn God's favor unless something is done about our sinfulness. It can only come as a gift from God alone, received by faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone. Now already in the first eight verses of chapter 4, Paul has demonstrated that Abraham was not justified by works, but rather by faith, as I've been saying. In the verses before us this morning, these particular ones that we are looking at, we see, <clears throat> excuse me, we see Paul specifically point out that Abraham was not justified by religious ceremony, namely the ceremony of circumcision. Now, what does circumcision have to do with us here in the 21st century? Well, hopefully we will see. There's two points I want to make this morning. First, religious activity is not a substitute for faith. And second, religious activity expresses and strengthens faith. Let me, let me say those one more time. Religious activity is not a substitute for faith. And second, religious activity expresses and strengthens our faith. Now to the first point, religious activity is not a substitute for faith. Verse 9 asks a question. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Now what is this blessing that he's talking about here in verse 9? <clears throat> nine. If you go back a couple of verses to 6 through 8, it says, uh, David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So he's pointing us back to what David wrote in the Psalms. And he's saying, is the blessing of forgiveness and justification only for the circumcised? And Paul points out in verses 10 through 11 that these blessings, blessings of, of justification and the blessing of the forgiveness of sins that David talked about, these things were credited to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. But circumcision was not instituted until Genesis chapter 17. So two chapters later, 
Now let's talk about how old Abraham was. At the end of chapter 16, not 15 where he was declared righteous, but 16, he is 86 years old, it tells us there. At the beginning of chapter 17, he is 99 years old. So there's, a, there's 14 years between Genesis 16 and Genesis 17, but the crediting of righteousness is back in Genesis 15. So at least 14 years uh, went by from the point Abraham was declared righteous because of his faith to the institution of circumcision. And so Paul is saying, look, it's your faith is what's important. Circumcision, not so much. Look at verse 10. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised, at least 14 years before that. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So Abraham was not justified and accepted by God because he was circumcised, but because he trusted in God and God's provision for him. This is true, not only of circumcision, but all religious ceremonies, rites, sacraments, and practices in which he might have been involved. Abraham was not declared righteous because of his practices, but because of his faith in the Lord. And the same is true of everyone. No one is justified through their religious activity. And that's really what I'm trying to, the point I'm trying to make here. No one is accepted by God because they're baptized or because they go to church or because they participate in the Lord's Supper or because they walked an aisle when they were nine years old or prayed a prayer or signed a spiritual birth certificate or because they had Christian parents or grew up in the church or care for the poor or feed the hungry or preach or serve as an elder or deacon. Now, most of these activities are great. And they should be a part of your life as an expression of your faith. But they are not what saves you. They're what you do because you have been saved by Christ. What saves you is faith in Christ alone. His work and his work alone, not your work. And not faith in general, but trusting in the correct object of faith, which is Jesus Christ. Putting your faith squarely upon him and what he did in his life, death, and resurrection on behalf of sinners. He's the one who fulfilled all righteousness in his life. He lived the perfect life. He died to pay the penalty for sin, and he rose victorious over sin and death. And when you put your faith in Jesus, all that he secured in his perfect life, in his sacrificial death, and his resurrection and victory over the grave is applied to you. It is credited to you by faith. It's coming from Jesus and Jesus alone. If you put your faith in your religious practice to save you, then you're going to be disappointed. It's like the people that Jesus said. They came to me and said, Lord, Lord, we did miracles. We healed and we prophesied in your name. And he says, I never knew you. They had all these religious practices that they did, but they did not have faith in Christ. He did not know them. If you're looking at your religious practice to save you, 
You're going to be disappointed, and it's because you're putting your faith in yourself and your performance and not in Christ and his performance for you as your substitute. So, that's the first point. Religious activity does not save you. Religious activity is not a substitute for faith in Jesus Christ. So what value is religious activity? Why, why do we do these things? Why not be the, like those people who do not believe in organized religion or who claim they can worship God on the golf course as well as a church? How anybody could worship God on a golf course if you're playing golf? Uh, because, it, I mean, that's where you lose your religion, not gain. Maybe if you're just walking the course and admiring the beauty, I, maybe they have an argument, but not really a good one. Um, so what is the value of our religious activity? Well, it, it expresses and strengthens our faith. And when I say religious activity, I mean that which is prescribed in the Bible, not just any old religious activity, but those practices that God has commanded us to do in his word, like the sacraments, for example, listening to God's word, reading God's word, praying, singing, um, gathering for worship, etc. Well, let's look at the example Paul is giving us here, circumcision. Verse 11 states that Abraham was given the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still, still uncircumcised. It was a sign and a seal, just like we've been talking about here with baptism. Uh, circumcision was a sign signifying the cutting away of sin, undergoing a change of heart, and being included in the household of faith. It showed that the person had a covenant relationship with God. You know, Abraham had faith, and then later he was circumcised, and it was a sign and seal of, his, uh, of the righteousness that he had by faith, and it was also a sign and seal of the righteousness by faith for Isaac and Ishmael and Jacob and Esau, etc., 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 for their children while they were babies. So it's a sign of those things and a seal, a stamp of approval, an authentication. Abraham would daily have a reminder on his body that he belonged to God, that he was committed to God. It was meant to assure him that God's promises were true and that he belonged to the Lord. The act of circumcision in the state of being circumcised was not what he put his faith in. That came later for some people. Circumcision reminded him of his faith in God and the promises of God. Now in the New Testament area, as, as I've been saying, circumcision has replaced baptism. We see that in Colossians 2, 11 and 12. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So baptism is the circumcision of Christ, and it signifies the washing away of sin, personal renewal by the Spirit of God, and membership in the body of Christ. Baptism is not the action that washes away sins. It does not regenerate and renew you. It signifies these things. It points to them, but it's not the thing itself. 
Now, if you drive down in, uh, Highway 49, eventually when you get uh, into Gulfport, you'll see signs that say beaches, signs that point to the beaches. Can you imagine if somebody saw that sign, pulled over to the side of Highway 49, pulled out their towels and beach chairs and slapped on some sunscreen and, and started sunbathing right there at the sign that said beach? You know, you'd think they were insane. The sign is not the beach. The beach is the beach. The sign's pointing to the beach. Baptism points you to Christ and the benefits that flow from his finished work on behalf of sinners. It's not the thing itself. It points you to the thing, to Christ. It's a sign. But it's also a seal, as we said. And as you reflect on the meaning of the sign and what the sign points to, Jesus Christ, you are to deepen your faith in Christ. You shouldn't get full of pride and say, well, I'm baptized. I've, you know, been, I'm one of the baptized people. That should humble you and make you realize all the more that it is only through Christ that you can be washed, cleansed, raised to new life, and adopted into God's family. So it, the sign should point us to Christ, and it should fill us with worship. It should humble us that God has reached out to us and, and adopted us into his family. Even though we're sinners and we need to be washed and cleansed and filled with the Spirit, we need to be raised from spiritual death to new life. Without Christ, we're nothing. And so baptism, the Lord's Supper, points us to these realities in our lives. So it's a seal. It, it certifies and, and authenticates us and, and makes us say, yes, I belong to Jesus. Even if you've not put your faith in Jesus, the sign still points you to Jesus. And you're obligated to put your faith in Christ. So yes, your baptism should encourage you to faith in Christ. And it doesn't matter when you are baptized. If you are an adult, uh, when you think about it uh, or attend someone's baptism, it should make you think about your own relationship with the Lord and how it is only through him that you can be washed and renewed and accepted. And if you are baptized as, as an infant, you don't remember much about it, you should do the same, even though you, you probably have no memory of it being an infant. Um, before you could comprehend that there was even a God, God reached out to you through your parents. You have been included in the covenant, and that means you are obliged to trust in Christ. Baptism hasn't saved you. It's only engaged you to be the Lord's, to trust him, to follow him. And the same was true of Old Testament circumcision, if you think about it. Abraham got the sign, and he put it on his children. He put it on Isaac and Ishmael. They were both engaged to be the Lord's, but only one of them embraced the Lord, Isaac. Jacob and Esau both received the sign, but only one of them embraced in faith the Lord, and that was Jacob. And it took him a while to get there, if you read Genesis. See, same way, our children are baptized, and we seek to bring them up in the church, in the faith, and to train them, and to tell them they've got the covenant mark on them, just like circumcision. And they're, you're obligated to put your faith in Jesus, to trust him. God has reached out to you. You belong to him. And if you don't, you're a covenant breaker. But the important thing is faith in Christ. That's what we're saying here. Everyone has to put their faith in Christ. Not in your baptism or any other religious practices given to us by God. But these practices are very important in our lives. God has given them to us to deepen and confirm our faith in Christ. 
Theologians call these practices the means of grace, the means whereby we grow in grace. We experience God's grace in these things. God encourages us, strengthens us, builds us up in our faith, the faith that we have in Christ. So we're talking about God's Word, the preaching of God's Word. We're talking about the sacraments, the Lord's Supper and baptism. God works through these things. Prayer is important, you know, a way for us to communicate with God. Uh, fellowship with other believers is sometimes included in the list of the means of grace. We need one another. And all of these practices, the Word of God, prayer, uh, the sacraments, they are to be done in fellowship with other believers. So it's, these things are important for our faith in Christ. When we practice these things, we are depending on Christ. That's what we're doing. We're expressing our dependence upon Christ to save us. We are doing these things because Christ saved us. And we are doing these things to remind ourselves and to confirm that Christ has saved us. And if our faith is not in Christ, then these practices are empty. They're in vain. Well, in conclusion, look at the second part of verse 11. The purpose of Abraham being justified by faith before he was circumcised was to make him the father of, of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So in both instances, whether they were uncircumcised or circumcised, the most important thing is faith, faith in Christ. So where is your faith today? When you die, why should God allow you into heaven? If your answer is, well, I was baptized. Uh, I, I, I've done this. I've done that. I prayed a prayer. I walked an aisle. If that's, that's your answer, your faith is in yourself and your performance. Do you believe in Christ? I'm not asking you what you have done. I'm asking you if you believe without being circumcised or baptized, etc. Do you believe irrespective of any religious activities in which you engage? Is your faith in Christ or is it in what you do? Acts 4.12 says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven among men by which we must be saved. We have to have Christ as the object of our faith, not our own performance. And sometimes that's hard for people raised in the church or who have been in the church a long time. We tend to think God accepts us based on how good we're doing with our daily devotions or with our church attendance or whether we've you know, attended the, the, the sacraments and, and done all these things. And when we fail to do those things, we think, oh, God doesn't like me anymore. No, your faith is in Christ, and you're accepted on his work, not your own. So how is your faith? That's the first question. First question, where is your faith? Second question, how is your faith? Is it growing? Are you neglecting the means through which your faith can grow? Are you in the word? Are you attending church weekly where the gospel is preached? Do you commune with God in prayer? Do you thoughtfully participate in the sacraments? These are the God-given activities through which our faith can grow and be strengthened and encouraged. And neglecting them will cause your growth to be stunted at best. God gave us these means to grow. 
and Christ is the one that is to be the object of our faith as we do them. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we again thank you for your word. We thank you for the sacrament this, this morning and what an encouragement it is to know that Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Yes, Jesus loves me. And I pray, Lord, today that everyone here would know that and, and embrace Christ as their Lord and Savior, not their religiosity or the activities in which they engage, but, Lord, to know that it is all of, of grace. It is a free gift of God given before we ever did anything for the Lord at all, but given and given to sinners who don't deserve it and who haven't earned it. Lord, I pray that we would all uh, have a greater appreciation for what you have done for us, what you have provided for us in Jesus. And, and Lord, may, we, may it influence the way we walk in our lives and the things that we do and, and to really grasp why we do the things that we do and not just get lost in the activities of, of Christianity and, and leave Christ out of it. Forgive us for doing so. It's so easy for us to do. And we pray, Lord, that you would direct our attention to Jesus Christ always. And we pray this in his name. Amen.